Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. Uh, we are today in John chapter 16. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is instructing his disciples. He says, listen, guys, I'm going to go. But don't worry. Praise God, because you're not going to be alone. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he says in John 14, verse 18. But I will come to you. And the way he came to them is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 15, and 16, he primarily talks about these two things. He primarily talks about, number one, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and number two, our authority, the power of attorney that he's given us in Jesus' name. Praise God. So he's been with his disciples for three years now. He's getting ready to depart. You know, that could be troubling because they were really looking for him to set up a physical kingdom on the earth. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I'm going to go, but don't be troubled because I will come again. But I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I give you the power of attorney to use my name. That changes everything. Praise God. Now, when we look into John chapter 16 and verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. It is very necessary for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the paraclete, the one called alongside, the helper, the aid, the assistant, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, when he says it's expedient, he means it is very necessary and it is at the door. Praise God. This is ready to happen. Praise God. And this has to happen. Praise God for you. Because this is going to change your life for good. Amen. Now, in John chapter 16, the first four verses, Jesus begins to share some things. He says in verse 1, these things have I spoken to you that you should not be offended. Listen, you have to guard your heart against offense. And if you're in the church for very long, you will have opportunity <laughs> to be offended. And if you come to this church for very long, you will have opportunity to be offended. And if someone else does not offend you, Pastor Lawson will probably offend you, okay? And I'm not trying to offend you, really. But I'm not here to please you. Ultimately, I am here to please Jesus Christ. See, and I, I you know, if I'm trying to please Larry, I can preach a message one week that, you know, it'll make Larry happy, but, you know, it, it, it might make Leon mad. Hallelujah. But if, I, if, I'm trying to, if I'm trying to please Jesus, amen, I might preach a message that makes Larry Matt and Leon happy. And next week I might come back and preach a message that makes Leon Matt and Larry happy. So I learned a long time ago, I'm not here to please people. I am here to please Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, listen, don't be offended. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. The time comes that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. And these things will they do to you because you have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now notice what he says in verse 2. He said, the time will come when whoever kills you thinks... That he has done God a service. In other words, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you because of your faith in me. Praise God. And did you know when you think about it, many of the early church were martyred. When you think about the original 12 apostles of the Lamb, how many of them were martyred? Ten. 
Judas committed suicide. Ten were martyred. And only John was the one. In fact, Jesus told John at the end of the book, he said, nobody's going to take you out till I tell them to. <laughs> In other words, I'm going to help you, praise God. But 10 of the original 12 apostles of the Lamb, the apostles of Jesus, were martyred. And they were martyred really because of their confession of faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection of Jesus separates him from every other person. See, there are other people that were resurrected, but they were resurrected to die again. Jesus was resurrected never to die again. Praise God. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59 that they stoned Stephen. He was one of the early church leaders. They stoned him calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin to their charge. Praise God. In other words, he was calling on God. Amen. But they were so convicted by his words that they killed him. And so Jesus said, this is going to happen. In other words, he said, you're going to offend religious people. But you're not here to please religious people. You're here to please me. Then he begins to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit in verse 5 through verse 16. He talks first of all about the coming of the Holy Spirit to the world and his ministry to the world. Then he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to the church. He says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Never, he says, actually, I, I missed verse 5. He says, now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asked me, where do you go? But because I said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is very necessary for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world. This is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then he explains that. He says, of sin because they believe not on me. What is the greatest sin? The greatest sin is not believing on Jesus. Because if you don't believe on Jesus, he can't do anything about all of the other sins, plural, in your life. I remember when Barbara and I first moved to Kit Carson to plant a church, and we built the church, and, and then we had a house moved from DIA, and I, I remember we had this concrete man, and he was the best concrete man around. And he helped us pour the foundations of the church. Larry's laughing because Larry knows who he is. He's from Eats, actually. And then he, I had him do my house, and he gave me a good bid, and he did the basement, and we poured the basement floor. But one morning after we moved the house and set it on the property, then, then he, uh, he came to pour the garage floor and to pour the front porch and pour the front sidewalk and pour the back porch. And so that day, early in the morning, I began to talk to him and his helper. His helper was a backslidden preacher's son. And so I began to talk to them, and I asked him, well, I mean, and when the concrete would come, this man, he would start swearing. I mean, the air would turn purple. It was ugly. And so I asked him, I said, what is the greatest sin? Of course, he said, oh, I suppose it's cussing. <laughs> because he had a really bad problem cussing. And I said, no, it's not cussing. And then his assistant, he was a real wild one, a backslidden preacher's son. He had a real problem getting drunk and chasing women. He said, well, it must be drinking then. I said, no, it's not. The greatest sin is not drinking and getting drunk. He said, well, then it must be chasing women. You know, because he was, he was really involved in that. And I said, no, it's not chasing women. So I, I was there and all day I was trying to be nice and share the gospel. Later that afternoon, I was, I was, we were out on the front porch, and we were pouring the porch and pouring the sidewalk. We were finished it, and, and, and I asked him, I said, 
I said, now, where, where are you going to go when you die? And they laughed at me. And the concrete guy said, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going six feet under. And Barbara, she had had enough. She had heard me all day witnessing these people and trying to be kind to them. She opened the front door. She looked out there and she said, I'll tell you where you're going. You are going straight to hell. <laughs> she slammed the door. My God. Whew. I'll tell you, you know, the Bible says in the book of Jude, it says some saved by grace and some saved by fire, hating the garment, even spotted by the flesh. Well, it must have worked because a few months later, that preacher's son got saved and came to Christ. Hallelujah. Well, that's a marvelous truth of the gospel. The gospel works and, and you know, you try to be as nice as you can, but some people just can't take it any, any way else. They just got to hear it out. It is. So... Anyway, Jesus explained this. He says, of sin, because you believe not on me. The greatest sin is not believing on Jesus. Because if you don't believe on Jesus, he can't do anything about all the other sins, plural, in your life. Then he says, of righteousness, and he explains himself, because I go to my Father. He keeps using this term. John 14, he says, the same works that I do and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father because of redemption. Now, Jesus said, I came to convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father. In other words, when Jesus died and shed his blood and then rose again, he paid the price for righteousness. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict us that Jesus is the righteousness of God and everyone who believes on him, when they believe on him, they are made the righteousness of God in Christ. In fact, let me show you something in the book of Romans chapter 3. You all know Romans chapter 3 verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Notice what it says. He's talking about Jesus, whom God sent forth to be a propitiation or a covering or a payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission or the absolute pardon of sins that are past. Like they were never committed. Absolute pardon. He says, through the forbearance of God. In other words, Jesus, when he died and shed his blood, paid the price for all the sin of humanity from Adam to Armageddon, from the first man that ever lived to the last man that ever lived. Jesus shed his blood and paid the price for every human person. From the beginning of creation to the end of the world, it was by one offering, Hebrews says, that we are sanctified, that we are perfected by the offering of one. So he says, God sent him to be a payment, a covering through faith in his blood to declare. God sent Jesus to declare his righteousness for the remission, the absolute pardon of sins that are past. Now, when you read that term past, what most people think is that's talking about the sins that you did before you got saved. But I believe what this is talking about is the past tense of the gospel. So I believe it's talking about like those three beautiful words Jesus said in John chapter 19 verse 30 when he said, It is finished. The price had already been paid and all sins in a sense were paid for at the cross when he shed his blood and in a sense they're past tense in that aspect of the gospel he says through the forbearance of God in other words God knew that you would do it and forgave you anyway that's the marvelous news of the gospel he says God sent him again you could read that into verse 26 to declare I say at this time his righteousness God sent Jesus to declare right standing with himself that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. 
So the only way God could be fair and not play favorites was he based everything on Jesus. And everybody who believes in Jesus is made 100% righteous. And everybody who doesn't believe on Jesus is still 100% sinful. Now, we're talking about your spiritual condition. We are not talking about your physical condition. What you have to understand is that you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. But the moment that you believed on Jesus, your spirit was made 100% righteous. You are made the very righteousness of God in Christ. You are given the righteousness of God as a gift. In fact, in Romans 5 verse 17, Paul says this, that we have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and we reign in life, the Amplified says, as kings. So you're given a, the gift of righteousness. And in your spirit, you're either 100% righteous or you're 100% sinful. You're either a saint or you're a sinner. But you are not a saint and a sinner in your spirit. That means if you die, your spirit and your soul are either going to go 100% to heaven to be with God in Christ forever. Or your spirit and soul are going to go 100% to hell. Okay? That's if you don't know Jesus. If you go to hell, it's because you did not believe Jesus you did not receive his sacrifice for your sins by faith. So you've got to believe it to receive it. And it's really not about what you do. It's about what he did. Now, when you believe that and your spirit is changed, you'll change, praise God, you, right? As you renew your mind to the fact of who you really are in the gospel, you'll change more accidentally than you did on purpose before. That's a whole nother teaching. I don't want to try to get into it. But the gospel, the true gospel says that when you believed on Jesus, you were made righteous. Right? And that you received the righteousness of God through the grace of God as an absolute gift of God. Let me turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 through verse 21. Some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And Paul says this. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if any person be in Christ, the same has become a brand new creature. A brand new kind of being. In the Greek, it's like one that was never in existence before. He says, old things are passed away and all things have become new. Now, when he says all things have become new, what things is he talking about? He's talking about things in your spirit. Everything in your spirit changed when you were born again. Praise God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 18, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So it says your old nature, your old way of being change. And you received a brand new nature. All things have become new and all things are of God. He's talking about in your spirit. So your spiritual condition changed the moment that you believed on Jesus. Jesus called that being born again. He said you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, physical state. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, spiritual state. Praise God. So you had a physical birth just shortly after your mother's water broke. Amen? And Jesus said, if you're going to enter in the kingdom of God, if you're going to operate in kingdom authority, you, there, there must be a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again. Now, he says, God reconciled us to himself. He restored us to right relationship with himself. 
In other words, it's like if Barbara and I were married and then we got angry with each other and we separated and we decided to get over what, what was what our differences and come back together, we call that reconcile. Restore the right, right relationship. So what Paul is saying is the blood of Jesus reconciled you to God. Amen? And you are reconciled. You are in right relationship with God because you put faith in the blood. You put faith in the finished work of the cross. Hallelujah. That changes everything. So he said in verse 19, notice what he says here. He says, God was in Christ. And so in verse 18, he said he reconciled us to himself by Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is really what we're supposed to tell the world. This is the ministry that we're to tell the world. We're to tell the world that God is not mad at you. But God has already paid for your sins. And God did that in the person of Jesus when he died on the cross. So all you need to do today to receive right standing with God is believe Jesus. And believe the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, you are made righteous before God. So he says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit. Look at verse 19. That God was in Christ. This is the message that we preach to the world. God was in Jesus reconciling, restoring the world to favor with himself. Not imputing, not keeping a record, not counting up, not keeping track of their sins. That's the, that's the message that we preach the, to the world. He says, not imputing their trespasses, right? Overstepping the law to them. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's sad to say, but many churches are not preaching the message of righteousness and restoration to favor with God. It's really sad. In fact, I grew up in, in church. And in my Sunday school, my, see, I was a very ornery child. And my Sunday school teacher, she said, God is in heaven. And, and he has his big video camera. And, and he's, he's videoing your life. And when you get to heaven, he's going to play your life back to you in slow motion. Now, what my Sunday school teacher was trying to do, she was trying to scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of Lawson Purdue. <laughs> Amen. In fact, one preacher said this. He said, he said, I, I was at home and my daddy tried to beat the hell out of me. And he said, I went to school and they tried to educate the hell out of me. And he said, I went to jail and they tried to scare the hell out of me. But he said, Jesus loved the hell right out of me. Amen. And that's the gospel. Amen. Jesus will just love the hell right out of you. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you really believe the gospel, he says, this is the message that we're preaching to the world. That God was in Christ reconciling, restoring the world to right relationship with himself. And he is not imputing. He is not keeping up. He, counting up. He's not totaling up. He's not even keeping a record of that. Yeah. Years ago, my son Peter was playing baseball and one of his friend's dad was there. He said, you know, Pastor Lawson, he said, I've traveled around the world and I've heard many churches and, and many messages and I think that I've got it figured out. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, God's in heaven. He's got his big black book. And when you die, you stand before God and he gets out his big black book and he looks on one side, and he looks at your good, and he looks on the other side, and he looks at your bad. And then if your good outweighs your bad, you pass. Well, that is not how it is. Because the Bible says, everybody say, the Bible says. See, the problem with religion is too many people, they just have their religion, and they believe what they believe, no matter what the Bible says. But we go to, got to go back to what the Bible says. And the Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 10 that if you have offended the law in one point, you are guilty of it all. 
So what God looks at it when you come before him is he looks at whether you are born again and whether you have believed on Jesus. And if you're born again and have believed on Jesus, your spirit is 100% righteous. You are not saved by your works. You are not saved by your performance. You are not saved by your actions. You are saved by grace. You are saved by what Jesus did. That is the heart of the gospel. But too many people have got completely away from teaching the true gospel. And we need to get back to telling people, listen, God's not mad at you. God loves you. God already paid for your sin at the cross. And all you need to do is believe Jesus. Believing Jesus changes everything. He says, now then, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we beg of you in the place of Christ, in the stead of Christ, to be reconciled to God. To be restored to right relationship with God. I'm glad he didn't say, you bunch of worms. (laughs) I've actually heard people preaching in the last 30 years. That you're a bunch of worms. Did you know that is a bunch of Old Testament non-gospel theology? And it is not the truth. He says, now then, we as ambassadors, I love it how God raises you up. How God has elevated you through the grace of God to a new position. And he says, we then as ambassadors for Christ beg of you in the place of Christ, be reconciled, be restored to right relationship with God. For God made him Jesus, who knew no sin in verse 21, who never sinned. This is the gospel. Jesus never sinned, but God made him to be a sin offering for us all so that we might be made the very righteousness of God in Christ. And so when you believe on Jesus, your spirit is made 100% righteous and you are given the righteousness of God as a gift. You couldn't do anything to earn it. Amen. You didn't do anything to deserve it. All you did was believe Jesus, and you got what he deserved. See, he never sinned, but he became a sin offering for us all. Jesus took our sin. He became a sin offering. And even though we're wholly unrighteous, W-H-O-L-L-Y, amen? He made us holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, righteous in our spirit. And the moment that you believe on Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. So he said, this is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in the world. Number one, I want to convict them of sin, the sin of unbelief, because they believe not on me. Number two, I want to convince them of righteousness. That when you believe on Jesus, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And number three, I want to convict them of judgment. Why? Of judgment because you're such a worm. You old skunky, dirty, ugly thing. If you don't get it cleaned up, you're going to split hell wide open. (laughs) No. Of judgment. Because the prince of this world, Satan, the devil, has already been judged. Now, if you get a picture of this, if if you ever get it for a moment in time, how much God loves you. And what an amazing plan that God has for you. And how absolutely defeated the devil is. And how absolutely victorious Jesus is. You are going to be done with serving the devil. You are not going to serve the devil much longer when you get a revelation of how much God loves you, his amazing plan for you, how defeated the devil is, and how victorious Jesus is. And he said, I came to convict you of judgment because Satan, who is the prince of this world, has already been judged. 
I love what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, where he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, having taken it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having forgiven us for all trespasses. How many sins did he forgive you for? All of them. Then he says in verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, what gave Satan or the devil power in the life of humanity was sin. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he did no sin. So the grave had no right to hold him. So when he went to the grave, he conquered the devil. He, Ephesians 4 verse 8 says it this way. He took captivity captive. Hallelujah. And then he rose from the grave victorious. See, and what gave him victory over the devil, he was raised from the dead, Romans 1, 4 says, by the spirit of holiness because he never sinned. See, Paul writes this in Corinthians. He said, if the princes of this world would have known what was going to happen when they crucified the Lord of glory, they never would have done it. Because, see, when they took Jesus to the cross, they were dealing with one person in one place that was righteous, that was full of the Holy Spirit, that, that had no sin. But when Jesus died and went to the grave and conquered the devil and rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit on the first day the church was born, there were 3,120 people that were full of God, that were righteous, that were forgiven. Hallelujah. And when you understand that, it completely changes the way that you live their, your life. And so the disciples went everywhere. And in a little bit of time, they did more than Jesus did in his whole life. They turned the world right side up by the gospel. Hallelujah. God's still waiting for the church to rise up and go forward in the power of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and turn the world right side up. So he came to convict the world. This is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, to convict them of the sin of not believing on Jesus, of righteousness in that Jesus is the righteousness of God, and everyone who believes on him is made 100% righteous. I'm talking about your spiritual condition. And of judgment because Satan, the God of this world, the prince of this world, has already been defeated. He's already been judged. Now, Jesus goes on, look at this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, now I have a lot of things to tell you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got to, now, this is his ministry to the church. But you cannot bear them now. You cannot understand them. You can't grasp them. He says, how be it? However, when he, the Holy Spirit of, of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself. But whatever he will hear, that will he speak. And he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. And he'll show you things to come. Now, Jesus is saying, right in John 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, listen, you can't receive the Holy Spirit now. Right? He's with you, but he's going to be in you. Until Jesus died and shed his blood, it wasn't a possibility. But when he shed his blood and you were forgiven, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. So he said he's going to live on the inside of you. He's going to be a present resident. Then he says in John chapter 14, verse 27, he's going to teach you all things and bring into your remembrance whatever I said to you. The Holy Spirit's going to make the word come alive to you. Then he says in John chapter 15, verse 26, when he's come, he's going to testify of me. And finally, he says, he's going to show you things to come. He's going to show you God's plan. Now, how do you get to understand God's plan? Primarily by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 8, 14, Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons. They are the children of God. And the Spirit of God leads us into freedom. The Spirit of God leads us into sonship. The Spirit of, you know, knowing that we're His children. The Spirit of God leads us into our divine rights and privileges as the children of God. He said, he'll show you things to come. Listen, I grew up in church, and I was born again at the age of eight years old. I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. But it wasn't until I was 14 years old in a Bible study that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I began to get supernatural revelation about my life, about the plan and purpose that God had for my life. I knew immediately when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that I was called to preach the gospel. And I knew certain things about my ministry at 14 years old that I never even entered into until I was 40. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. And when you have an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's like the Apostle Paul. Jesus said, Paul, I'm going to show you some things now, but as you walk with me, there's more to be revealed. You know, we first moved here to start this church in the year 2001, 21 years ago. And there are certain things that God revealed to Barbara by the Holy Spirit. And as we've been through these 21 years, there have been a couple people along the way that have caught on. And they said, hey, pastor, this is what God's going to do. This is where God's going to bring you. And I said, well, do you know what? That's the truth. Because what they were sharing was revelation that God had already given to us. And I'm here to tell you that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Hallelujah. So I'm believing that they're going to come to pass. In fact, I pray some things once in a while. I pray this, Romans 9-11. I pray that the purpose of God according to election will stand not by him that wills, but by him that calls. In other words, God's purpose, God's plan for my life is greater than my own performance. Amen? I pray this scripture in Job 23 verse 14. For he performs the thing that is appointed for me and many such things are with him. In fact, there are sometimes people trying to play, play religious games and keep me out of where God wants me to be. But I went to the Father and I prayed. I go home to my prayer closet. That's my living room, my dining room, my kitchen. Hallelujah. Wherever I happen to be at. Hallelujah. And I start praying. And I say, Father, I thank you. Job 23, verse 14. That you are performing the things that are appointed for me. And many such things are with you. Hallelujah. You are performing. So they may want me to sit on the bench. And Jesus, if you want me to sit on the bench, I am happy to sit on the bench. But if you want me to be in the game, Jesus, you put me in the game. I'm happy to be wherever you want me to be, Jesus, because you are the one that calls the shots and not some religious person. Hallelujah. For he performs the things that are appointed for me. Thank God. So God leads us by his spirit into his divine plans and purposes. And God's plan for you is better than your plan for you any day of the week. Hallelujah, it's so marvelous. Jesus goes on. He's going to show you things to come. He will glorify me for he will receive of mine and show it unto you. He's going to take the things from the Father and the Son in the presence of God. He's going to bring them, the Holy Spirit bring them and reveal them to us. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said in verse 15, he will take of mine and show it unto you. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Because I go to the Father. There he is again. He keeps sharing this. I'm going to go, but I'm going to come again. A little while. You won't see me, but then you'll see me again. <laughs> 
Then said some of his disciples in verse 17 among themselves. So he begins now to talk about, so he says, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. Convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, of the sin of not believing on Jesus, that Jesus is the righteousness of God, and everyone who believes on him is made the righteousness of God, and that Satan has already been judged. Here's his ministry of the church. He wants to show you the purpose and plan of God, because if you ever get a picture of what he has for you, if you ever get a picture of how much God loves you, amen, and how amazing his plan for you, and how, how victorious Jesus is, and how defeated the devil is, you're going to be done serving the devil. So some people just don't have that revelation. So he says, listen, boys, I got some revelation to give you, but you can't receive it until you receive the Holy Ghost. But when the Holy Ghost comes, he's going to give you a revelation of the purpose and plan of God for your life. Now, he begins to talk about our hope in the Holy Spirit, verse 17. Then the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you don't see me, and again a little while and you see me, because I go to the Father. You know, Jesus has been saying this. John chapter 2, he says, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. John chapter 3, he says, as Moses, as they, you know, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man shall be lifted up. John chapter 6, Jesus said, this is the bread that I will give for the life of the world, even my flesh. John chapter 10, he says this, no man has the power to take my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. John chapter 12, he says, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. This he was speaking of the death should, that he should die. But if I be lifted up, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about taking the judgment of the world on himself. I will draw all men to myself. John 15, he says this, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He keeps saying, because I go to my father. He's been telling him over and over and over again for these three years. He's been sharing this message with them. Because I go to my father. They said, what is this that he says a little while? Verse 18, John 16. We cannot tell what he says. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said, do you inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I tell you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He begins to talk about when I die. In other words, Psalm 30 verse 5 says it this way. Weeping may endure for a moment or for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it may be Friday in your life. And it may look like everything is dead. But I am here to tell you that Sunday is coming. Jesus said resurrection is coming. New life is coming. New joy is coming. A woman, he says, in verse 21, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. You see, what's been happening is we in the church, we've been in birth pangs. But we're getting ready. And the king is coming again. So he said, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. There's going to be sorrow. But Sunday's coming. Yeah. Hallelujah. And in our case, Jesus is coming again. <laughs> now, he says, now, therefore, he says, you have sorrow. Verse 22. But I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no man takes from you. I love Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God, we can abound in hope. And no matter what darkness and trouble and difficulty there is in the world, we have hope in Jesus. He says in that day, 
you'll ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Before now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. See, he keeps reiterating the message of the Holy Spirit and the message of our authority in the name of Jesus. John 14, 12, he says, the same works that I do shall you do also because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, you have authority in the name of Jesus to enforce what redemption has provided. John 15, verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You have authority in the name of Jesus to see the promises of God come to pass. John 15, verse 16, he says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he would give it unto you. You have authority in the name of Jesus to walk out God's plan. And finally, he says this in John 16, verse 23 and 24, he says, in that day, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he says, he will give it to you. What day? The day the Holy Spirit comes. You have authority in the name of Jesus to use the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs. But the time comes when I will no more speak to you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly of the Father. At that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you love me. How many of you love Jesus? Jesus says, I know it, and God loves you. Hallelujah. Because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Lo, now you speak plainly and speak no proverb. Now we are sure that you know all things. And need not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Listen, Jesus has been with them for three years. They've been following him. They've been listening to him. And finally, after three years, they are fully convinced. They are fully convicted. Right? I want to turn and read one more scripture to you before we finish this. But turn with me really quickly to 1 John chapter 5. We'll read verse 10 to verse 13. Listen to what John says in 1 John, his epistle, verse 5 through verse 13. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who believes not this, this God has made him a liar because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. He's given us his very own character and nature. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. And he that has not the son of God has not life. You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You either have the nature of God or you don't have the nature of God. These things have I written to, unto you who believe. I'm writing to believers. Who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Here's the challenge. Some people really don't know what they've been given. But he says, I'm writing to you as believers so that you can know what you have. Because if you know what you have, you're going to keep believing. Amen. Amen? Hallelujah. If you know what... The problem with some people is they really don't know what they have. But if you get a revelation of what Jesus gave you, you don't always have to be asking for more. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, wow, it's amazing. This new life that Jesus gave me.
Hallelujah. And when you get convicted, I'm telling you, it might have taken them all three years really to get it. But they finally got it. Hallelujah. They finally got it. Jesus answered them in verse 31. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes and now is come that you will be scattered. And every man to his own and leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. <laughs> Listen, you're not alone. God is with you. These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. There's going to be trouble in the world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to good people because we're in a world that's been affected by sin and Satan. Not only is there a God who loves you, who's given his son for you, who only wants you to receive good and have good things in life, but there is a devil who hates God and he wants to destroy you. Jesus said what? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundant. So he says, I've told you these things that you might have peace in the world. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems. But cheer up, for I have overcome the world. Cheer up, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Cheer up, because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Can I share one more thing with you? You know what the goal of the gospel is? The goal of the gospel is not to overcome sin and overcome Satan. The goal of the gospel is that you would get to know God and know Christ. You see, we could not overcome sin and we could not overcome Satan in our own power. And that's why God sent Jesus. But when Jesus came, Jesus overcame sin. And Jesus overcame Satan for us. Jesus did for us what we could never do. And that is the gospel. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.